Thank you, Dana. Some of you in this room have heard of the company Kinder Morgan. They're one of the biggest companies in Houston. They're the, the largest energy infrastructure company in North America. In, in essence, their businesses, they have 80,000 miles of pipeline, and their business is to provide energy for Americans. 80,000 miles of pipeline. The bulk of it is, is transporting natural gas for Americans. And, and as I say that, uh, actually, they're only a small fraction of what accomplishes this. Uh, one third of all the gas that we consume in America, it flows through their pipelines, but they don't bring it to your house. There are other companies that have distribution systems and so forth, but it's this massive company, 80,000 miles of pipelines that make sure they play some role and you have an energy in your life. I, I had no idea how complex this was. I was in the oil business about 15 years my perspective at the time was we would go out, we would drill a well, we would discover gas, begin to produce it. I would come home happy. Marie would turn on the gas stove and gas would, would come on. She would cook dinner. I would eat. It's a happy world. I thought it's a simple process. I, I had no idea the complexity, 80,000 miles of pipeline and, and the supply into that line, the supply of gas is constantly changing from almost an endless number of sources. It's constantly changing. We would drill a well. Production was never constant. It was always changing. The supply end is always changing. The demand in, the demand for the gas coming out the other side of the, of the pipeline was always changing as well. If it was day, if it was night, if it was winter, if it was summer, all these distribution points had all these changing demands. And it never dawned on me what would happen if you messed up the supply and the demand equation. What do you think happens if you, if you get way too much supply and you pressure up a gas pipeline? Okay, you can blow the baby up, can't you? A gas pipeline, not good. On the other side, if you don't put enough supply in and there's this Siberian cold front that hits the northeast, you don't have enough supply in, what happens? They freeze, right? I know they're Yankees, but God loves them even if you don't, and we don't want that to happen, so it's a bad outcome of that. So, so I've learned now that there's this high complexity, 80,000 miles of pipeline. It takes 11,000 employees to make this happen. 11,000 mostly highly trained employees to make it happen. And there are over 100,000 data gathering points in their pipeline system, over 100,000 data gathering points constantly taking data, constantly sending the data back to central control, constantly. Central control, there's this massive complex computer network, does computations, does equations, usually many equations on every piece of data, and then gets answers and constantly sends answers back so the supply and demand works. It's this huge complex deal. And the more I learn about it, the more I, I it's a miracle this ever works. Okay, 11,000 employees, this massive computer system for it to work. I say that because, because sitting in your chair, there's a human being with 60,000 miles of delivery pipeline. Sitting in your chair, there's a human body with 60,000 miles of delivery pipeline. It's your cardiovascular system. It's the sum of your arteries and your veins and your capillaries, 60,000 miles. And they're not only charged with, with delivering energy. They're charged with bringing back waste. They're charged with, with sending medical supplies as well. And they don't have, America has 300 million people. They don't have 300 million ultimate end users. Your 60,000 miles has over 37 trillion end users over 37 trillion cells in your body that only survive if the pipeline works and works right. 
It is stunning. It is stunning. And here's the deal, is that God, God crafted all of that by design, but all of that by design in you. I was thinking about that this week, and I was thinking of the psalmist in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, who would say, you made the delicate inner parts of my body. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. And I was thinking about that psalmist. He didn't know the half of it. He would look at his arm and say, well, there's some skin there and there's some muscle. Maybe there's some fat, there's some bone. God, I am wonderfully, marvelously complex. Thank you, God. He didn't know the half of it, 37 trillion cells of 200 different types in our bodies. And I found myself thinking it all began in our mother's womb, and we, we had no capacity to even understand it. And yet there's this complex system, there's this 60,000 miles of pipeline that's working. And even to this day, you probably didn't wake up this morning and think, I've got I to keep the pipeline working and like uh, Kinder Morgan requires 11,000 people to keep theirs going. This mass computer system to keep yours going. You don't have to hire 11,000. You don't have to build this massive computer network. God, God makes almost all of it work. He makes almost all of it work. There, there's a part that we have to play, which is why we're doing this series about health. There's a part we have to play. And, and here's our role. It's not complicated at all. Our role is to eat well to exercise well, and to rest well. He does all of the rest. Like all of the high-powered, all the 11,000 employee stuff, all the computers, he does, he's done all of the rest. Very simple. It's not hard to understand. It's not, even, it's not even that hard to do. Just eat well, exercise well, and rest well. So we've covered this eating well last week, and John's going to cover, Dr. John Johnson's going to cover a lot more this afternoon about it. But we said if we would get two things down, we would do very well in that area. We said if we would eat to be healthy and not to be happy, it would change everything. If we'd eat to be healthy, not to be happy. Notice when we sit down, we would have this mindset, I'm eating to be healthy. I'm going to choose uh, what I eat to be healthy, not to be happy. And I faced the challenge that all of us faced yesterday. I'd, I'd worked several hours. I went to the gym. I exercised. I came home, and I, I made myself a protein shake, which is very good. I drank the protein shake. But I found myself thinking, man, I'm exhausted, and I worked hard, and I, I deserve I, I, I want to make myself happy. And I thought, I, I went to the pantry. I was looking for somebody I could eat just to be happy. And Marie has stocked nothing but healthy stuff in the pantry. I was out of luck. Yeah, way to go. I wasn't happy yesterday. But now I'm happy today. I'm happy today. But, but we all struggle with that. If we would have this mind shift, I'm going to eat to be healthy, not eat to be happy. And then if we would have this mind shift to say, I want to be all about making the better choice. Not the perfect choice. I want to be all about making the better choice. So maybe instead of a cheeseburger, maybe it's the grilled chicken salad. Maybe instead of the bowl of ice cream, it's the fresh fruit with yogurt. Maybe instead of the Ritz crackers, maybe it's mixed nuts, but all about making the better choice. And if you're in the process of sorting out what that is, the better choices are, come this afternoon. John, I've seen John's stuff. He's got some incredible stuff about that. But before I shift gears and talk about the exercising well piece, I want to go back to why this matters. We focused on 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and 20. It's going to build on the heels of Psalm 139. It's going to build on the heels of saying, God made you out of grace. He made you spectacular out of grace. You did nothing. I did nothing to earn it. 
had nothing to do. He made us in this wonderfully complex way. But to build on that, then, the Scriptures say, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. He's writing to ones who have trusted their lives to Jesus. And he's saying, when you trusted your life to Jesus, then God's Holy Spirit took up residence in you. Like, this is the physical space he's chosen to occupy within you. And then he's saying, you've been bought with a price. Jesus died on the cross to pay for every single sin of your life. Every single, been bought with this high price. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You belong to God, so honor God with your body. So we've had this focus. It's just been, it's been this huge shift for us as a church. I've heard the rumble and ripple of this again and again. This huge shift is that taking care of ourselves, it's not really, it's not really about me. It's not really about you. It's about a way to worship God. It's about this mindset of God, what you have given me by grace. I want to give you my best back. Here's my motive, God. I want to do this to give you my very best back to you. That's the motive of it. So it's this gift of love to God, this gift of love to others. And it's dawned on me, I haven't said this in recent weeks, but this has been on my mind for a long, long time. A lot of us take better care of our houses than we do our own physical health. A lot of us take better care of our cars than our own physical health. A lot of us take better care of our pets our own physical health. A lot of us take better care of our 401k plans and our physical health. A lot of us take better care of our businesses and our physical health. And while all of those things are important, they deserve care, let me ask you, if the house, if the house craters, you're still alive, right? You're still alive. If the car craters, you're still alive. If the pet craters, bury Fifi, move on, you're still alive. I, I know you love Fifi a lot more than I do. I, we don't want Fifi to die, but if he does... If he does, you're still alive. You matter more to God. You do, biblically. You don't know this. You matter more to God than Fifi, than Fifi matters to God. If the 401k crashes, you're still alive. The business crashes, you're still alive. Why would we spend more time caring for those than our own physical health? It, it's beyond me, and yet I, I find myself asking that of myself. And so we're doing this as this, this return gift to God. He's given us all this grace, this gift, return gift to God. Eat well, exercise well, rest well, exercise well. We were, we were designed by God. We were physically designed by God for physical activity. He wired us in such a way that we could only be healthy with certain types and certain amounts of physical activity. And throughout the history of humanity, up to about the last hundred years, mankind didn't even have to think about it. Didn't even, most of mankind did not even have choices to make. Mankind was just simply active. Back in the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they didn't wake up and say, I think I should exercise today. If they were going to live today, they exercised. It re- their, their survival required physical activity. In the days of Moses, the same thing. The days of Jesus, the same thing. It, that's just been the norm of the entire scope of human history. Up to about the last mere hundred years, it's changed. And I've got a, I've got a cartoon that kind of touches upon this because I thought about why doesn't Scripture say more about this. And let me walk you through the cartoon. There's this uh, building in the center. It says Jim. There's a guy in front. And he's, he's inviting people in. He's saying, welcome. Here you pay a monthly fee. You'll be allowed to lift heavy things and, and push your physique to the limit. And look at the crowd he's trying to sell to. The top left hand, there are three guys, and they are physically cutting and stacking and loading 
hay. On the far right side, there's a guy that's pulling this cart filled with hay or dirt or something, physically pulling. At the bottom, there's this lady. I don't know where her husband is, but this lady or some gentleman someplace, she's, she's pushing this load of rocks or something. And the caption at the bottom says, Harry was ahead of his time. Now, who needed gyms back then? I mean, why would you need scripture that tells you to exercise? I mean, why would you need that? It's only in the last hundred years, and there are two things that have shifted for us. The Industrial Revolution, which hit the U.S. about 200 years ago and had gradual changes up to about a hundred years ago. Um, we began to shift and find that our work, for a lot of us, our work began to be sedentary. In other words, at work, we began to sit. A massive shift for the mass of humanity for all time. We began to sit at work. Not everyone, but in this room, there are a lot of us to do our job. We sit. This is my second service. I wish I had a chair right now, come to think. We just sit. I'm used to sitting. We sit. And then there's this other shift, and it's happened within the lifetime of some of you sitting right over here in the last 20 years. There's this been, been this technological revolution back in, hey, back in the day. Back in the day, if we were going to have some fun to play, we had to get physically active. We got physically active. All you need is two thumbs now. All you need is two thumbs. And so it's changed. So we become sedentary in our play. Industrial revolution made us sedentary in our work. Technological revolution made us sedentary in our play. And, and so, so for us, we have to become intentional about um, having the, the physical activity that God made our bodies for. Okay? So... Uh, I can't just stop here and say, okay, we should exercise, now let's go do it, because, because that, that ain't going to work. And if we're the church, I want to equip you to not only to know we should, but to know how to do it. So here we go. There are two essential kinds of exercise, two essential kinds of training. Uh, please take notes. Take notes. The first is aerobic exercise, aerobic training, which trains your cardiovascular system. Okay, aerobic exercise, it trains your heart and it affects your arteries and capillaries and veins, that whole system then. So we need essential aerobic exercise. The second is we need strength exercise or strength training, which trains the muscular system. We'll talk about why that's so important, so crucial. Two things, aerobic exercise and strength exercise. Okay, aerobic training, it is, guys, it is this simple. Aerobic training is simply anything that elevates your heart rate for some sustained period. Any kind of movement that, that elevates your heart rate for some sustained period, it needs to be elevated at least 30 beats per minute above your resting heart rate for some sustained period, okay? It needs to be, for, in other words, if your resting heart rate is 80 beats a minute right now, then you would need to get your heart rate up to at least 110 beats a minute for some sustained period. If you do that, you are, you're experiencing aerobic exercise, aerobic training, it's as simple as that. Now, depending upon your age and your physical condition, you might very well exercise at 100 beats a minute above your resting rate. For the last you know, 40, 50 years, I've exercised there. That that's, can be a very healthy level, 100 beats above. That's got to be at least 30 beats a minute above your resting heart rate. There are tons of options. Let me give you just some. It can be walking, can be running, can be swimming, biking, CrossFit, martial arts, Zumba, which I don't know what that is, but several people told me that it's great aerobic exercise, my sister-in-law and some others, and so I trust them. Full court basketball, 
tennis, calisthenics, on and on and on. But it's as simple as this, is anything that elevates your heart rate, at least 30 beats a minute above rest for some sustained period. And here's the goal. Here's the goal. Aerobic exercise, a minimum of 30 minutes at least three times a week. Aerobic exercise, a minimum of 30 minutes at least three times a week. And that's not where you start. That's the goal of where we want to get to. And then there's a second piece of this, and that's simply moving more throughout the day. And this is something that uh, science and medicine has told us a lot more about even in the last 10 years of it. It's just simply moving more if you live this sedentary life in work or school or play then. And so it may mean if you, if you work or live at a place where there's stairs, if you're able, take the stairs rather than the elevator. It may mean that rather than circle three times to get a parking spot near where you're going, just park farther away and just walk. It may mean just getting up from your desk more often and just moving about. Doctors, physiologists are learning that actually helps, that actually matters. So here's the goal again, aerobic exercise, minimum of 30 minutes, three times a week, and then just simply move more. It's not complicated, is it? It's not complicated. Strength training, you have over 600 muscles in your body. If, if you begin some exercising now and you haven't been, you're about to discover where some of those are because you'll feel some of those muscles, over 600. And the way God designed us is, is it is muscles and muscles alone that make any movement possible. And the way God designed us, it's as simple as this. A muscle contracts or relaxes, and it causes movement. Every single movement you've ever made has been a muscle or muscle groups that contract or relax in some kind of, some kind of sequence there. That's the way it happens. And, and there's this um, atrophy that sets in on our muscles when they're not used adequately, and it limits our capacity for movement and physical activity. It's the world that we tend to live in. If muscles aren't exercised, they atrophy and it limits capacity for movement and physical activity. And when we do exercise, there are these massive gains. It increases general vitality of life. It actually strengthens your bones, your skeletal system. It prevents injuries. It, it, listen to this. This is so It raises your body's resting metabolism. I can see some of you don't realize what that means. What it actually means is after you've finished exercising, you've built a little more muscle, your muscle actually burns more calories while you rest than your body used to do before. It's not just the calories you burn in the exercise. You build muscle. Muscle burns more calories per minute, per hour, per day than what you had before. So it increases metabolism and it, it burns off more calories just even as you sleep then. So massive gains. The way you, you train muscles is you just put a load on them. You put some kind of load, some kind of strain on them. And there's so many options. I'll name a few. Weightlifting, one of the most basic ones. Weightlifting, swimming, CrossFit, martial arts, calisthenics. There are many, many others, many, many others. But here's the goal. Here's the minimum goal. Strength training, a minimum of 15 minutes at least two times a week. Okay, this is just a minimum goal, at least 15 minutes two times a week. And be sure you include the main muscle groups, upper body, lower body, and core. This is crucial with what you do in that 15-minute window. Again, just the minimum. Include upper body, lower body, and core. For a long time, I didn't get the importance of the core training. I thought I, I never had ripped abs. I'm never going to have ripped abs. Who's going to see them anyway? Like, I can't show them on Sunday morning even if I had them, so it didn't matter to me. What? <laughs> Yeah, good thing, isn't it? But what I didn't realize is this, is that 
So much of our movement and even our lifting, there's, there's some stress put on, on this vertical system of our spinal system and spinal cord. And God designed us to have these core muscles that actually support that movement and that lifting. If we don't have, if these muscles have atrophied, then all the stress goes on the spinal cord and on, on, on the actual structure of the spine. So many spinal injuries happen because core muscles have just not been maintained. Now, this is a minimum again, a minimum, 15 minutes twice a week. If you do that, you can maintain basic muscular health, I know. There was about a 10-year run in my life where to cultivate my relationship with God, to, to be the kind of husband that Marie needed, to be the kind of father that Justin and Daniel needed, needed at that season, to do my job. I mean, all I had for this kind of exercise was 15 minutes three times a week. But you can rip through a lot of stuff in 15 minutes three times a week. You can maintain basic muscular strength in that time. Now, a ton of us in this room have not been exercising recently. So this is crucial. Listen up if it, this includes you. It includes a whole bunch of people here. It's crucial to know how to begin. If you're under 40, you can skip this one mini part here. But if you're 40, if you're in your 40s, if you have any risk factors, genetic or medical concerns, call your doctor first. Before you start, just call your doctor first. Get his okay. Get her okay. If you're in your 50s, uh, just by the fact you're in your 50s and not exercising, call your doctor. Just get his or her blessing to start then, okay? Now, this is for everybody, whatever your age is. If you've not been doing it, Start slow and easy. Start slow and easy. Do not push yourself to the limit. Two massive reasons for this. If you push yourself in the early goings, you're you're at such a high risk for injury. If you push yourself hard then, and if you injure yourself, you're set back for, for some period of time. You're discouraged then. If you push yourself, you're high risk to injury. You also, if you push yourself in the beginning, for example, if you decide tomorrow, I'm going to begin this exercise, and you push to the exhaustion point, you're going to feel miserable. And you're going to be dreading the next time you have to exercise. Okay? Does that make sense? I mean, you, because it's, it's so uncomfortable, so miserable, so hard. So, so, so start slow and start easy. For example... If you're going to build up to aerobic exercise and you picked walking, you're going to build up to brisk 30 minutes of walking, then I would suggest you start with 10 minutes that are very comfortable and make yourself stop. 10 minutes, very, make yourself stop, and you'll find yourself, you can't wait until the next time you do it. And as you build on, you'll add an 11th minute and a 12th minute and the pace to pick up. And over time, you'll be utilizing the training effect. And three months from now, you'll be doing something that would have killed you tomorrow. But just by the training effect alone, you'll be able to pull off exercise very comfortably that would have killed you. And so, so start very slow, start very easy. Take advantage of the training effect and build up, okay? And, and remember this. This has been a big help to me. It isn't the workout you do today that will make you healthy it is the 150 workouts you'll do in the next 52 weeks that'll make you healthy. Okay? It's not the workout you do today. I don't care how hard you work. I don't, I don't care if you almost kill yourself today. It is not today's workout that'll make you healthy. It's the next 149 workouts, cumulative, that'll make you healthy. So start slow, start easy. And then gradually increase duration and intensity. And you'll find the training effect kicks in. Build to the point where the duration and intensity is such that you can sustain it indefinitely. Okay? Build to the point where the length of time 
the intensity is the point that it can be sustained indefinitely, okay? If you're, if you're at, the, at the edge of, of excruciating pain and you try to stay there, you can't. I mean, you'll quit. You'll quit. So build to, the, to this sustainable point of duration intensity. Does that make sense? Okay, for a lot of folks in this room, it would make sense to use a personal trainer on the front end. Make a lot of sense. A personal trainer could teach you a lot. The, the biggest gains would be these, would be to have someone show you what exercises to do and tell you how to do them correctly. But there is a massive risk on the front end with the trainer. And so let me tell you, this is crucial. If you go to a trainer, this is what I highly recommend you tell them. Tell them you are there to learn what exercises to do and how to do them correctly. Okay? What exercises, how to do them correctly, and then tell them, do not push me in these early exercises. Do not push me. I I have seen it more times than I could count someone coming for the first time, and either because they think they need it to get their money's worth, or the trainer thinks that they do, they are pushed to exhaustion. And I know multiple people have been badly injured in the first time out. I know one person that was injured there until the day they died. Like they, they never recovered from the injury because they pushed too hard the first time. So trainers can be great value. Just tell them up front, show me the exercises, show me how to do it correctly, but don't push me in the early going, okay? Okay, that's, that's all about beginning. And then the training effect as you find the days, weeks, months, years going on. You'll have more capacity for workload that will increase. Your metabolism will increase. Your resting pulse rate will go down, which means your heart has to work less hard. Your blood work you get will show increased health in that. There'll be all the training effect will kick in. Several resources for us. We've talked about these gems that are listed in your program that have offered substantial discounts to FCCers. There's some gems you can access at our website of our church, there are um, substantial resources you can tap into about exercise and fitness. This is really cool. This has just come together now. There's something called the Walk Across Texas. And the whole concept of this is that groups of eight people will form together. And then over the course of eight weeks, they will, they will add up their cumulative mileage that they have walked. And over eight weeks' time, the goal is to, to walk far enough that collectively they would have walked from Beaumont to El Paso. 830 miles. And so eight people over eight weeks. And, uh, and they even have conversion. If you don't walk, if you lift weights, there's a conversion factor. If you do a bunch of housework, there's a conversion factor to how far you'd walk. If you do yard work, all this stuff. And so FCC had, now has, it, FCC has its own site within this Walk for Texas. And we thought how cool it might be, which we now have set up for any of us here. It's on the website in the program, info in the back, any of us here to say, I want, I want to be part of a group of eight. Maybe it's your eight, you know, your seven best friends and you. Maybe it's seven strangers. You become friends. But independently, as life goes by, you just exercise and walk and you record it. And the whole idea is together collectively at the end of eight weeks, the end of eight weeks, you would have walked all the way across Texas. I mean, it could be a a great uh, motivator and uh, and camaraderie around it. So as a church, uh, whatever groups form, and I think it could be a ton of them, we're going to start March the 9th. And then conclude May the 3rd. Start March the 9th, conclude uh, May the 3rd. So again, website, program, info in the back. You can check all that out then. And then again, the resource of the seminar this afternoon. I encourage you uh, not to miss out on that. I woke up this morning. I've been reading through the Gospel of Matthew for the last two or three weeks or so. And today I just happened to be at 
Matthew 25. I'm reading Matthew 25, and Jesus is telling this story about this master who had some, in this case, they were servants or slaves. So in essence, he, he owned them. Uh, but out of his great gratitude and grace, he tells the story. He says that he, he gave these servants or these slaves of his, he gave them bags of silver, something they, they would never have in their lifetime. He just gives them these bags of silver. And, but there's a piece of that in the gifting of that. He's gifted them according to their own uh, abilities to use the silver and to use it for good. And so some time unfolds and there are three servants that got bags of silver and two of these servants come back and they have, they have thought, uh, what kind of incredible master is this that would give, give a slave like me bags of silver? And, and, and those slaves took the silver and they used it for great good and they had this great return to their master. And the master says to them, as Jesus tells it, the master says, you did really well. I poured out grace upon you and you returned back to me. You did really well. But then it unfolds, and there's this one servant, one slave, that just took this gift of grace of this bag of silver, and he buried it. And, and the master, in the end, just shakes his head and says, you, 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 you didn't get it, did you? You didn't get it. I gave you this huge gift because I knew, I knew you. You could have done something with it, and you didn't. You failed to do something with it. And I found myself thinking that if God and his choice had given me all of the silver on the planet, it would hold a candle to the value of the life and body he's given me, would it? Same for you. Would, would all the silver on the planet be worth anything if, if you didn't have this one body he's given you? He's given us that. And I found myself thinking the parallel. There are many aspects of application Jesus has from it. But one of them that fits us now, I found this parallel, this, just this thought of out of grace, he, he made us. Beautifully, wonderfully complex. And nearly all of it works just by his design. We don't even have to do anything. We don't need 11,000 employees to make it work. We don't need computers. It, most of it just happens. He just says, just, just eat well and exercise well and rest well. I found myself thinking that kind of grace, I want to pour back. I want to give him my very best back. There was a small group a few months back that did a beta test about what is now the pursuit of health. And, and they got to this part about looking at exercise and fitness and being physically active and physically healthy and all. And, and they began to talk about exercising. One of the men came back and he said, I, I began to view exercise as I never had before. He said, I began to, to view workout as worship. I never thought of it that way before. But he said, I began to view, as I have been working out this past week, I began to think about God and begin to talk to him. And I began to say to him, it's out of, it's out of this deep awe of you and your goodness and your grace and, and that I'm doing this workout because I want to maintain, I want to be healthy, I want to give you back. And so he told the group that, and it really got leveraged with the group. And all the guys and the women began to, to use that term, workout, is worship. And they began to talk about how it changed their perspective. And one of the persons in the group told me about that. It began to change my perspective. And I found myself yesterday after a bunch of hours of work and I'm at the gym and I've done some weightlifting and I'm on the treadmill and, and I'm, I'm just exhausted. And I'm thinking, why am I doing this? I thought it's, it's this chance to worship God in this tangible way. And so I began to think about it as I was on this treadmill. I began to lift my eyes up, still eyes on the treadmill so I wouldn't lose track, but lift my eyes up. 
And, and my whole thought process was, God, you have been stunningly good to me. Stunningly good to me. And I have this little window of time on the planet. And, and I want to act of love. I want to give you the best health I could give you back. Here's, my, here's my, my gift of love. Here's my workout, which is this worship to you. Here's this, here's this sacred ground. Here's this holy space that is worship of you. And I think that as that small group was talking about this, as that person thought about it, I think that Paul had some of this in mind, some of this in mind in Romans 12.1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. This is how I want to end. We're so used to worshiping with words in a song, and and we're going to do that after I pray. One final, another five minutes together, all of us worship God in words of a song. But part of the song, in essence, it says, All I am is yours. All of me. Not not 90%, not 99%, all of me. Not just my brain, not just my heart, not just my emotions, not just my friendships. All of me, all of me, including, here's my best offering of physical health I could ever give to you. It's my act of worship. Father in heaven, Thank you for such goodness and grace that you have poured out upon us. The, the fact you would make us truly so wonderfully complex, it stuns me. We will get to the end of this planet's life, and we will not fully understand how complex and wonderful you've made us. Just your gift of grace. Thank you that, that you have given us a role in our own health. I thank you for that because it gives us an opportunity to worship you in, in that role. Thank you that it's simple. It's not hard. Thank you for that. We can do it, Father. We can do it. We can eat well. We can exercise well. We can rest well. And so, Father, now we're going to turn our hearts toward you and your grace and your goodness. We're going to worship you with song. But part of that song is going to be, say, everything I am, all I am, it's all yours. In Jesus' name, amen.